Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the former Benfica, Chelsea and West Ham fullback Scott Minto and TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook, as we look ahead to all the weekend's fixtures in the Premier League and ask questions about the England squad. Why has Gareth Southgate finally gone down the Madison Avenue? We'll look at it in detail right here on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. I feel like this is a breakthrough, but if he's picking a player like James Madison, his defensive mindset has, has weakened a little bit and he's being more positive, I think. He's a fantastic player and one of the best players in uh, in the Premier League. Really, really delighted for him. I'm not happy that Ivan Tony's not in the squad. I feel like he should have been. But, you know, a lot of people are saying that Rashford deserves his spot. I disagree with that. You look at Dyer, Stones and Maguire, but he just lacks speed there for me. I think he's tried to cover as, as many positions as possible uh, and give themselves options when they come to the World Cup. Walker and Phillips, in the positions they play, are absolutely vital for this squad to give them every chance. The, the nature of those conversations, good and bad, reminds you of how much it means to a player to go to a World Cup. So it is a great day, but also for some I've had to disappoint them. Well, 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 we've got so much to get through. Um, obviously, look back a little bit on the uh, midweek action in just a second. We're going to do loads of uh, build up to the game day matches that we've got coming up on Talk Sport with Scott Minto and Alex Crook. But we've also got to take a look at the England squad ahead of the World Cup, which starts. Oh, next Sunday. So not this Sunday coming, but the Sunday afterwards. England's first game is against Iran on the Monday. I'm going to be there for that one. Crookie, I know you're flying out next week uh, to Qatar. Uh, we were all on the call yesterday watching James uh, Madison be unveiled as, I suppose, the, the big sort of poster boy for the World Cup. He's finally in the squad after 18 months of playing well. And Gareth Southgate was pretty strident. It's nothing to do with personal character. Uh, it was all to do with footballing reasons. <laughs> okay. Um, right. Um, Scott, what did you think of the squad? What were the, what were the headlines? I mean, for me, the biggest headline is, is that Conor Gallagher has come pretty much from nowhere. I mean, he's been in the squad and he's been on the fringes of the of, of the team here and there, but he's not a... It, it wasn't a name that was on my lips as someone that could make the 26. It, it was a bit of a surprise. For me. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're talking about headline, it has to be James Madison, doesn't it? Um, I, I'm pleased yeah. to see him there. Yeah. I don't personally think he'll play a minute. Um, I, I think it, there's a lot of attacking players that Gareth would trust in real sudden death situations that he'll put on before James Madison. But I'm glad he's there and you can impress him in the training sessions. And, and who knows? Who knows? In terms of Conor Gallagher, yeah, to start the season, 
was tough for him because he, you know, he wasn't playing particularly well under Thomas Tuchel. Um, got sent off, of course, as well. So the fact that he's in is a little bit of a surprise for me. I think he does add something different. I think he does give that kind of high intensity that a lot of the, the sort of other midfielders don't. Um, you know, that, those blonde locks to be flying around the training ground, desperate to try and impress. Again, I think he's another one that I don't think will have many minutes on the pitch. But you're looking at a, a squad of, it's not 100% balanced because of the left side, but, you know, what, what can you do with Ben Chilwell out? You either pick someone who has hardly played a, a game or, or you try and cover it in different ways. And that's what Gareth Southgate has done. I personally would have had Tamori and Ivan Tony in there. But look, you know, 60 million England managers around who aren't completely happy with Gareth Southgate and what he's normally chosen. I think it's a pretty good pick, to be fair. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with the squad. I must admit, I don't think that there's too much that I would change about it. I mean, the big absentees really for me, Crook, are the fact that England are without their two main fullbacks in in in, in, in uh, Ben Chilwell and um, Rhys James. And that, 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 that really is the key headlines. England don't have two of their best fullbacks. Yeah, and I understand Gareth's reasons for not taking Rhys James. He wasn't going to be fit for the group stage. I think he used the oh, word absolutely. arrogant if we took him with a view to saving him for the knockout round. But he hasn't really applied the same logic as he to Calvin Phillips because he admitted in that press conference that Calvin Phillips can't play every game. They're going to have to manage his minutes. I think that's, for me, a risk taking up a squad place with a player who's not started a game yet this season for Manchester City. I'm personally delighted that Marcus Rashford is in. I think he showed why in that win against Aston Villa in midweek. I think he's playing with confidence. He's playing with swagger. He offers dynamism. He offers something that maybe the other forwards don't. Callum Wilson ahead of Ivan Tony, I think, is the right call as well. Mm-hmm. James Ward-Prowse will feel aggrieved that he's not taken up one of those midfield slots, but I did allude to it in he's the weekend. Not been playing I don't well think enough, his former club level has been good enough this season. No. No, um, I think that's key. And Gallagher's a slightly different midfield player in that he plays a little bit further on. He's almost an attacking midfield player rather than a, a sort of defensive midfield player. We don't have too many of those defensive midfield players. I was looking at some of his really deep stats, you know, his, his non-penalty goals, his non-penalty XG, his shots total, his assists, his X uh, assists, his, his shot-creating actions, his dribbles, his touches in the attacking penalty area, his blocks, his tackle high up there. It all just he's he's in the top he's in the top seven percent across Europe's top five leagues for non penalty XG, which sort of tells you this is a guy, and if you look at all the underlying stats, he presses high up the field, he wins the ball in opposition territory, he turns it over and he creates a chance for someone. And that is the that is, he is different to anything else that, that England have got in that sort of area. He's not necessarily a good passer of the ball. His pass completion rate isn't amongst the best amongst the midfielders, but he creates a lot of chances by being the leader of the high press. And I think that is why he is in the squad as an option. I don't think he'll play too many minutes, but you know, I think he's he is something that Gareth Southgate might use. Uh, interesting with James Madison, one of the key statistics is the fact that he scores a lot of goals from outside the box. And that was something that Gareth brought up yesterday when talking about the potential for him to play in matches. You said, Scott, that you don't think he'll play a minute. I think he'll be involved in that game against Iran because I think that, and Gareth alluded to this during the press conference, the players can't play seven, 90 minutes. Calvin Phillips in particular can't do that. Um, Harry Kane's already said he's tired. I don't think that they'll play because of the proximity of the games. They're so like squeezed together. Those three group games, I think they'll play different teams in each one of them, not necessarily full 
11s changed, but I think they'll use a lot of players during that period. And with the five subs, you'll be able to, to manipulate it. So I think you'll be involved in that Iran game some way, somehow, mainly because against a low block defence, long shots could Let be Let me important. tell you, that first game of the, the, the World Cup, if it's not going well, he's not thinking about the next game and four days' time and, oh, well, let's try and manage some things deep into a tournament. He, he, he's even said about Rhys James, about the sort of arrogance, I don't want to look too far ahead. I mean, I personally disagree with that comment. There's no point in spending too long on that. But it's not arrogant because you're thinking, we want to win the World Cup. That's the aim. So what is the best way to be as fit as possible come the end of the World Cup? And if that means Rhys James is there and can be there, then, then it's not being arrogant. But he's, he's taken his pick fair. Fair enough. In terms of the group stages, they need to win the games. Get the first two games out of the way and then you can make the changes for the third game. You can't be thinking too far ahead of, oh, do you know what? First game against Iran. Let's do this. Let's move around. Let's make, make 15 players on the pitch and, and make substitutions. Because I'm telling you what now, if you are not careful with that first game against Iran and don't win, then suddenly you're going to the second game under massive loads of pressure. So he's got to pick his first 11 and if they have to be on the pitch for the full 90 minutes, which obviously doesn't necessarily have to be the case, but in terms of James Madison, I still think he's down the pecking order. So we'll see. Okay. Um, Walker and Phillips have been taken, as Crook said. Phillips apparently is free of injury, but he, his fitness is, is building up the fitness is going to be a, a massive problem for England, getting him going. But he's quite a fit lad anyway. I think he'll, he'll, he'll be okay by the time we get into the tournament. And remember, he actually had a similar sort of issue in that he hadn't played too much before the European Championships and came into that in brilliant form and was excellent. He actually opened up the first game for England and, and created the goal for Raheem Sterling against Croatia. And there isn't too many defensive midfielders in the country. Walker's not back in full training, apparently going to be back by the end of the group stage. Hmm. Be interesting to see. I think that means that Trippi will probably start right back and that Luke Shaw will start left back if they play a four. I mean, if, I, I think they'll play three in the end with Stones, Dyer and Maguire, which troubles me slightly. I'm not entirely convinced about that defence, and that's why I think England will still be a rather pragmatic team during this tournament, because I think defensively, they're a little bit scared about what they've got in front of the goalkeeper, Jordan Pickford. Um, Goalkeepers-wise, only four goalkeepers playing in the league that qualify for England, so the three that they've picked, I don't think it's a surprise. Scott, 10% of the UK population are left-handed, left-footed. We've only got one left-footed defender in the entire squad. Does that worry you a little bit? Yes, um, I am one of those 10% who's both left-footed and left-handed. Um, so, Are you? Do you know what, though? What does he do? What does he do? It's, it's all very well. Just... I don't know. Yeah. That, and that, that, that's a great question. Adrian said the same thing to me when I pointed it out to him but yesterday. It, absolutely. And, of course, I personally would love to see, you know, left-footers bombing on and, you know, have a gluttony of them and, and certainly Ben Chilwell when I was at the game when he got injured and you could tell straight away he wasn't going to make it it was one of those but what does he do you know does he pick a, a, a Mitchell or a Henry who's okay a left back for their club and, and know that position well but don't know what it's like in terms of tournaments this is England this is the World Cup we're going there with the aim and I must stress aim I don't want to come across as arrogant but the aim of trying to win the thing so do you play these type of players who one injury and suddenly you're putting them in? I don't see what else he can do, but there is a worry. There is a worry. I think Trippier, if Shaw's injured, Trippier goes to the left and Trent will probably come yeah. to the right. And again, defensively speaking, deep into a tournament, 
Trent's no great defender. I love him as a as a player on the ball. He's no great defender. So absolutely, that is a worry. Um, obviously, there was another issue in that they pointed out yesterday that there was not enough number sixes, number you know, defensive midfield players in the league that have English. Uh, affiliation. So it's very difficult to sort of look past your likes of Declan Rice, Calvin Phillips and uh, Jordan Henderson. Um, I know James Ward-Prowse was mentioned, but like we said before, he's not playing particularly well in a Southampton team that are struggling. Um, that is something that I think academies will look at over the course of the next few years. The, the, the need to produce different types of players. We seem to produce a lot of the same sort of players, which is the attacking midfield players and not necessarily enough of, of everything else. Um 21 of the 26 uh, are, were selected in the original European Championship squad for a year and a half ago, Crook. Does that show that this is an England team built on stability? Yes, but I think, you know, you have to look at the unique situation with the European Championships being delayed by a year. Um, so, obviously, that the gap between the Euros and the World Cup was shorter than it's ever been before. So, I, I don't think we were expecting a great revolution in the squad. We know that Gareth Southgate is a manager who likes to go back to players that he trusts. That's why Harry Maguire was always going to play. I don't understand the the, the debate went around Maguire. I had messages yesterday mm. saying, how can he pick him? That was never a topic for conversation. Not only was Maguire going to no, be in wasn't. the squad, it'll be in the starting 11. But that is a concern. You know, watching that game against Aston Villa last night, he commits too high up the pitch. He hasn't got the pace um, to get back and get in position too many times. Even in that Villa game, they're allowed to run in behind him. I think is a huge concern for England. If we're talking about England trying to win the World Cup, I admire um, Scott's positivity, but with that back line, they've got no chance. Yeah, the back line is really troubling for me. And, and one of the things about Harry is is that he's he is, there's no doubt that Harry Maguire is a, a useful defender, a good defender. And uh, we had a discussion about it once upon a time, many years ago, Crook and I, uh, in a pub in which... Um, Crook described Harry Maguire as a Rolls Royce of a defender, <laughs> right? And I described him as a Nissan cash <laughs> car. You were right. And, and, and rather unfairly, we put that on Twitter and asked people to vote which one it was. And this was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I like Harry Maguire. I think he's a very good defender. He's a rugged defender. He's a rugged, useful, utility defender, a bit like a Nissan cash guy, that he can do everything. But don't ask him to be the flashiest, nicest, the slickest, most beautiful defender in the league. It ain't going to happen. So I, I always felt he was, he was of a certain level. He's good, but he's not great. Um, and maybe at the moment, I think there's so much on his shoulders and so much in his head that he's making decisions that he wouldn't usually make. I still think he's one of England's best defenders when he is on it. But I think he's making, I think the pressure in his brain is getting to him. And I was at the game on Thursday night and I agree just makes odd decisions at this, at this moment in time. Could have been sent off. The, 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 the case is there to have a go at him. And again, I suppose I'm going to come and be Mr. Positive here again. Good. That's what <laughs> I, you want. I know I'm not going to convince Crookie at all. But um, look, what happened heading into the Euros when he didn't play for, was it eight weeks? And he ended up in the team of the tournament. Yeah. I just think there's some players, and, and, and this is why I would have picked Tamori, not just in the squad, but also in the team and get Carl Walker fit as much as possible because you have that pace to cover him as much as possible either side. But this is someone who, again, like Raheem Sterling, if you're talking about current form, and I suppose, you know, Gareth Southgate made a rod for his own back when he spoke about only pick players on form. Well, he, he doesn't. He picks players that he believes in and he, he doesn't pick other players he doesn't. He finds the argument for it. 
Harry Maguire, when he's played for England, pretty much 95% of the time has never let anyone down. Now, that's not to say that he can't in the future, and it's certainly not ideal what's happened. I don't like the fact he doesn't seem to be playing regularly when everybody's fit for Manchester United. But this is a guy who I do think has that big match temperament. I do think that he has that, that, that ability to, to play well because he's proven it. If he hadn't proven it, then I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't be trying to defend him. I don't know how it's going to go. You've got to have pace around him. We haven't got that at the moment with Carl Walker and Tamari, Tamari being out. So, you know, it, it, it could happen. It, it could be an accident waiting to happen. But all I'll say is, up until now playing for England in an England shirt in big tournaments, he's been one of our best players. Is there one glaring omission that no one is talking about from the England back line, bearing in mind the quality of the, the, the level at which the players that have been selected are playing? I mean, John Stones has been injured, hasn't hardly played over the last few weeks. Eric Dyer has made several mistakes, this high-profile mistakes this season, including one last weekend. Um, obviously, Harry Maguire has had his troubles. Connor Cody is probably the most inform of the centre-backs, yet he probably won't play. Uh, for England. Um, why hasn't he picked Chris Smalling? For the same reasons that he hasn't picked Tamori, I think, or many of the same reasons. I just don't think he believes that Syria is a particularly strong division. Uh, obviously, Smalling is a lot older than Tamori as well. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure that he would ever have really come into Gareth's consideration. Well, I must admit, I watched a lot of Roma this season, a lot of Roma this season, and he has been terrific you talk about Rolls Royce and yes okay maybe Syria isn't as strong as the Premier League but I've seen quite a few and worked on quite a few Roma games as well Sam he has been a Rolls Royce I'm talking he looks that almost that Virgil van Dijk and not van Dijk of this season mm. now that's obviously a, a big statement to make but physically um composure wise defending he looks like he knows what he's going to do before he even receives the ball no one seems oh, to get past correct. him and I, absolutely, I think that's a great shout. But but Crookie is right. He was never going to get a chance because he's, he's been out of the squad for years now and, and hasn't been brought in at all. Mm. And it is a question of out of sight, out of mind, I'm afraid. When the manager, maybe not now because he is 32, Chris, but if the manager had changed prior to this tournament, I think he'd have been in. I think that, that there was that thing, obviously, that Gareth said, and Gareth regrets what he said about Chris with the, the, the playing the ball out. I need players that can pass the ball. I think he, he that that became overanalyzed and overspoke about, and he didn't he didn't he misspoke, and he he quite happy to admit that he made a mistake saying that. But ultimately, I think it's a I, th I think if Eric Dyer is in this in this in the squad, then Chris Smalling should definitely be in the squad. I think Chris has been playing so much better and more consistently over a longer period of time at a higher level, by the way, and he's more of a natural defender than, than, than Eric Dyer. Um, quick word on some of the uh, forward players. Tony, Tammy, both missing out. Form is important, isn't it? Tammy scored a lot of goals last season, but hasn't scored many this season at all. In fact, I, I did the game the other week when they, he scored and one of them goals against uh, HJK Helsinki. I think he scored three this season, four this season. He scored against Sassuolo, actually, uh, on Wednesday night, the night before the squad was announced. But... I don't think he's done enough to to get into Gareth's thinking. You've got to have someone who's going to score goals, and form's important at this stage because they're always going to be just back up to Harry Kane. Um, and Tony, seven goals in nine. I just wonder whether or not the off-the-field stuff that had sort of come into play in the last week or so 
just tip the balance in Callum Wilson's favour. But Callum Wilson's probably a more has more variation of finish anyway, Crook. Yeah, I think Callum's a more rounded player um, than Tony, but it might explain, Scott's shaking his head, so we'll bring him in on this in a moment, but these allegations that have surfaced, and they are only allegations at this stage, could it explain why Ivan Tony didn't see a minute when he was called up? Is there a chance that Gareth Southgate wasn't aware that this investigation was happening until he made the decision to call Ivan Tony up? Of course, there's every chance that could be the case. The FA not telling what the, the left hand, what the right hand is doing. Yeah, of course there is. There's a chance, isn't there? Oh, no, look, there is a chance. Um, but if you, I would have thought that Gail Southgate would have given the FA his, his sort of sheet before just saying, this is who I'm going to pick. So the FA should have pulled it up then. If you're going to pick a guy in the squad, then surely you, you, you'd know what was going on. Um, I, I'd actually have taken both. I, I really would have done. Um I would have taken Tamori and Tony and I wouldn't have had Phillips and, and Eric Dyer. That's how I would have changed the, the sort of squad around. Because I genuinely believe that we get, to, to win a tournament, normally you, you have at least one penalty shootout. Now, I'm not saying that Ivan Tony is all about the penalties, but that's a massive plus for someone to come on and, you know, almost, almost be a banker than just sticking the ball in the back of the net. But again, look, he scores goals, he makes assists, um, he's good in both boxes, he can drop deep, but he can also go in behind. I think he justified enough as a player to be in that squad and also have Callum Wilson there as well. As I say, I think penalties are going to be absolutely key. And I think we've missed the trick there, to be honest with you. That's the one one slight criticism I would have in Gareth Southgate's squad. Game Day podcast is going to be daily from uh, next Sunday. Uh, we've got a preview that we're recording on Monday at the Samsung Hub. Um, so we'll do that on Monday and you'll have a full preview of the, of the entire World Cup to, to get you through the next couple of uh, days. And then we'll be doing World Cup daily, the game day daily, every single day during the course of the World Cup, Crook and I, um, with the help of, I'm sure, Scott is going to be involved in it at that time. And Stuart Pierce is going to join us and, and Darren Bent and Darren Lewis and Kwaku and Kev and everybody else is going to just pop into our little uh, studio every every day. So we're looking forward to that. So make sure you uh, start subscribing now to this feed and then you'll be able to get that every morning. It won't be that long. It'll be nice and short and sharp. So on your way to work, it'll be up at seven o'clock every single morning. You'll be able to just download it very quickly, find out what happened the day before, all the big talking points and what's going to happen the day to come. So there's, there's, there's a nice little bite-sized uh, piece of pod for you uh, every single day during the World Cup, which we are looking forward to doing, aren't we, Crook? And Crook organized it so that we did it very early in the morning in Qatar because he didn't want to be restricted about what he did in the night time. I'll leave it there. Uh, right, there is uh, midweek action to look back on. Every London side, bar League One Charlton, has gone out of the Carabao Cup, Scott. Um, what's going on? I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't believe so many Premier League sides have gone. Now, obviously, the other issue here is, is that the big Manchester City-Liverpool uh, fourth round game happens four days after the World Cup final. So none of the top players, apart from Erling Haaland, are going to be... So basically Erling Haaland against Liverpool's kids um, in the in the fourth round of the Carabao <laughs> Cup. So Manchester City already through to the, the quarterfinals. That's the first thing we should probably know. Uh, but I mean, look, it is a difficult competition this year in that you are you're sort of restricted in what you can use when, because as I just mentioned, the fourth round comes straight after the World Cup, before the Boxing Day fixtures. Not everyone's going to be back for that. The players aren't going to all be back for that. 
And then you've got the situation this week where players have been sweating on getting into it, squads and they've been worrying about that. So they've been chopping and changing the teams. I just wonder, I don't know what you think about this. It seems like Aston Villa haven't got very many players going to the World Cup. Teams like Crystal Palace have changed their teams so significantly for a competition that this year, among any other year, they can really win. Why would you do that, Scott? Why would you said do with that? such passion as well, Sam. I love that. Now, why, you're, why would you do you're, that? You're absolutely right. And this is a strange... We've, we've obviously had a couple of strange seasons with COVID, but this is a strange season, unique season, where really it's two seasons in one. So the clubs just need to go for it up until the World Cup. I, I'm with you know the Tottenham coach who said, look, it's not for us to talk about the World Cup. We, we just deal with the, uh, us as a club. Just do what you need to then do. Yeah. Just do what you need to do up until the World Cup and then see who comes back after the World Cup. Pick it up and go again. So why would you not? Absolutely. Why would you not just try and pick your best side and go deep into the competition? Where probably when you get to the, the semifinals, you'll come up against the big boys and they'll be, they'll be ready for it. But actually getting into the semifinals is a great opportunity. I'm, I'm gutted that Chelsea didn't make it. I'm gutted that West Ham didn't make it. Go on, Charlton although they didn't have to get to penalties to beat Stevenage. Look, there is, there is a, a great opportunity here for, for these managers who, should we say, the best opportunity they would have because of the way the World Cup is. So I'm totally with you. I don't get it. Just play your best team, get yourself into the next round and see what happens after the World Cup. Just play your best team. Manchester United did really well last night. They altered seven players. But actually, despite altering seven players, they still managed to put out a very strong, strong team. And as a result of that, they, especially in the second half, they played particularly well, scored four goals and got over the line against Aston Villa with a little bit of help from Robin Olsen, obviously. Uh, but, you know, the draw itself lends itself to someone who's not one of the traditional powers lifting the cup. Wolves against Gillingham, Southampton, Lincoln, Blackburn, Nottingham Forest, Newcastle, Bournemouth, Man City, Liverpool. One of those is going out. Manchester United are at home to Burnley. MK Dons, Leicester. Charlton against Brighton. I mean, there's an opportunity here for someone, isn't there, Crooks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the difficulty is all the time that Manchester City are in it. <laughs> you have to caveat and say this has been uh, Manchester City's Cup over the last few seasons. But with one more of those big hitters to go out, as you say, I think the draw has opened up for someone. I think it's tricky for the Premier League clubs because you look at it, take Manchester United at home to Burnley, for example. On the face of it, that's a great draw for Manchester United. Great opportunity uh, to get into the quarterfinal and to get a step closer to lifting their first trophy since 2017. But because of the timing, obviously the championship season restarts before the Premier League season. So a lot of those Burnley players are going to be maybe more match sharp than the United players who've been away at the World Cup. So I think that's going to make it a fascinating round. I think we're going to get some upsets. We've already had some upsets and we'll have some more as well. Will we have any upsets this weekend? We've got three live games on Saturday on TalkSport, the final few matches of the Premier League before we go to the World Cup. And we start at the Etihad Stadium, where Manchester City are aiming to put pressure on Arsenal when they take on Brentford on TalkSport. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that 
Sounds important? Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Saturday isn't Saturday unless... It's game day. Back into Haaland. Oh, what a finish. Inevitable from Erling Haaland to get his name on the score sheet this afternoon. Tony is there and it's a brilliant goal for Brentford. Scored by Ivan Tony. You can't find a better striker in form in the country. Impossible. Kane sneaking round the back. Brilliant finish. Brilliant finish from Harry Kane. Onto Somerville. Somerville. Angle tight. He's posted in. Somerville. We, we don't make it easy on ourselves, but we've always seen that the, the group have, have big hearts. Balls for Neves! Unbelievable strike! He's doubled the lead with a moment of immense technique. Xhaka to finish it! Xhaka does finish it! In some style, from inside the 18-yard box, he goes sliding over to the corner flag. Mikel Arteta told you to trust the process. Yes, our three live games this weekend. Manchester City-Brentford live on TalkSport 12.30. Spurs leads at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Then we follow that up later on in the evening with Wolves against Arsenal. And it's really interesting that yeah, we've got those two games for you, the Manchester City and the Arsenal game. Because Manchester City, if they win, they'll go top. And Arsenal will have to beat Wolves to then finish the first part of the season on top of the table. In fact, be top at Christmas, Scott. That will that is what the prize is tomorrow. You know, if they win that game, Arsenal, they'll be top at Christmas. And on 10 of the last 13 uh, seasons, the team that's top at Christmas goes on and wins the title. You know, I was just about to say, have you got a stat for me there about when the team's... And I knew you wouldn't let me down, Sam. You come out with that. Look, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think I've waxed lyrical enough about Arsenal and working on the game for Talk Sports Stanford Bridge last week too. You know, people might be confused that, and say that I'm an Arsenal fan, but trust me, you know, if I'm a football fan, which is what I am, they are nothing short of superb. And there are some teams that are desperate for this World Cup break, and there are some teams that are not. And Arsenal are not, because they are playing as good as they've played in the last decade. I mean, with and without the ball, absolutely superb. So I personally think the way Arsenal and the mindset they've got, let's forget about the, the Cup midweek, the league mindset they've got, whatever happens with Manchester City, and I think City will go big on Brentford, I really do. Um, Arsenal will come back and, and beat a Wolves side that still are struggling themselves. So I think Arsenal will be top of Christmas. 
Um, I don't. Um, I, I don't know about you, Crook, but I watched the uh, the Real Madrid uh, Real Vallecano game on Monday night, and last night um, they sort of struggled to beat Cadiz. Um, Barcelona had a few problems with Osasuna on Tuesday night. And the suggestion was uh, the eyes a little wandering east towards the desert, maybe a little bit too early for some of those players that have uh, been involved in those matches. Talk to me about the possibility that Arsenal players, possibly one or two that have been called up to the Brazil squad, um, maybe, you know, the Manchester City boys that are thinking about the World Cup might just take the foot off the gas. Is that a, is that a possibility with these two managers, Arteta and Pep Guardiola? Possibly more with Manchester City um, than with Arsenal, um, although I'm sure Pep will keep them fully motivated. But I think the Arsenal players know this is uh, an incredible opportunity for them this season. You've mentioned the stats already. If they top the table at Christmas, they've got a tremendous chance of winning the title. At the very least, they're going to finish in the top four now. They're probably going to finish in the top two. So I think that should uh, keep them motivated. Uh, Obviously, Gabriel uh, didn't make it into the Brazil squad. I spoke to Mikel Arteta about that after the game on Wednesday and he said that will just motivate him to get even better. I think Arsenal are in a really good rhythm at the moment. There's a tremendous spirit running through the camp and I think they've got big enough characters, people like Aaron Ramsdale, not to allow any complacency and any sort of pre-World Cup hangover to sit in. I agree with Scott. I think Man City win comfortably in the morning. I think Arsenal reclaim top spot later that night. Scott? I do think it's going to be very interesting. You, you raise a good point, Sam, that and, and while from a player's point of view, you want to be thinking and your manager's going to be hammering it every single training session, every single hour, you know, warm up, warm down, just get this game, get it sorted, especially for the Brazilian boys. You know, Brazil, World Cup, how big it is for them, haven't won it for, for, for a long time, the pressure. And maybe I'm looking for something that won't be quite there, but I do think we might, if ever there's a weekend to see some surprises, and I've already said I think our both Arsenal and City will win, but if ever there's a weekend where I think there will be some, some surprises, then it could well be this one. I also think as well, this is a game that teams do not want to lose. I can, and I'm counting Chelsea in that and the run they've been on. So it's a big weekend in many, many ways for a lot of managers and a lot of players. The good news for Arsenal fans is is that if they do finish top at Christmas, I've already told you, 10 of the last 13 seasons, the team that's top at Christmas goes on and wins the title. The bad news for Arsenal fans is that in the three seasons where that hasn't happened, Manchester City have come from behind to win that title. So... Um, there is that as well to consider. Um, Manchester City take on Brentford live at 12.30. Um, look, the, the squad's flooded with World Cup players. Calvin Phillips may well get a few more extra minutes. That might be part of his sort of uh, getting ready for the World Cup. Thomas Frank talked about Ivan Tony being a specialist. I wonder whether or not he'll have a bit of a point to prove tomorrow or whether it might just sort of affect him a little bit and there might be a bit damp squid. They're not very good away from home. They haven't won away from home all season and Manchester City have won their last 16 games at the Etihad. I can't really make a case for Brentford getting anything from this game, Crook. No, and, um, you know, I think Man City know because of the way that Arsenal are playing and because they've almost given Arsenal a little bit of a head start, there is no margin for error. So that should be motivation in itself. They've just got too much quality at Manchester City. And you mentioned Brentford's away record. I've seen a few of those away performances and I've said it before on this podcast. When they are bad, Brentford, uh, they are really bad. So if, if they... If they're not at it in this game, it might it might, it might turn ugly quite quickly. And uh, I think, again, it's a week when a lot of us are going to captain a certain Erling Haaland in our fantasy teams. That's a no-brainer. 
Now, look, I wouldn't suggest that anyone's got any flip-flops on, but the other issue you've got is is that a lot of the Brentford players will not be going to the World Cup, so they're thinking about their their mid-season holiday. There are the obviously going they're doing warm weather training and all that nonsense, but they also they are going to get a break, right? And they lost to Gillingham on penalties in midweek in the in the Carabao Cup. They've managed one win in nine matches. Brentford are not in very good form. I think Crook's got the potential to be absolutely spot on here. This could get ugly, actually, if things start badly for Thomas Frank. How does he guard against that, Scott? Is that the headline of the game going into it? This could get ugly. It's the headline this of the podcast. could get ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've already written it. Sam, I, I totally agree with Crookie. <laughs> it's not in vision. <laughs> this, this could go big. This could, this could be big. I think City will be... You know, absolutely thinking that Arsenal are going to go and win, and and, and you know to think that three of the what was it three of the thirteen City have come from behind. Listen, I think it's going to be four of fourteen this season, but we'll see. We'll see. In terms of this game, they're going to be absolutely at it, City. Absolutely at it, and I think it's really difficult. Brentford for me, you know, how how do you do it? Well, they're going to be absolutely at the game. Need a bit of luck. They need Ivan Tony to be not be deflated, to be thinking right. I'm going to show you and bully the, the City defence. But they've got to get the ball first. So you basically be organised without the ball. Erling Haaland, as we say, you would think would be a shoe-in for a goal or maybe two. I wouldn't fancy being Thomas Frank on the bench this weekend. Spurs against Leeds as Saturday, 3 o'clock. It's live on Talk Sport because the Autumn Internationals are on Talk Sport too. Um, Leeds maybe rode their luck in two really heart-stopping last-minute wins recently. Um, can they go and cause chaos for um, Tottenham Hotspur this weekend? Well, Tottenham Hotspur can't really afford for that to happen. Three games without a win now. Conti's out of the Carabao Cup. They're not going to win the league. They're not going to win the Champions League. Is this going to be another trophyless season at Spurs? And is this what he came for, Alex? No, it's definitely not what he came for. And it's why the, the nagging doubt, as you know, has always been in my mind that Antonio Conte uh, may not be at Tottenham for very long. But I think that was a really damaging defeat for Spurs in midweek. He only made four changes. Mm. Harry Kane started. I'm sure Gareth Southgate was delighted about that and to go out against let's be honest a a fairly poor Nottingham Forest side in the competition that is most likely to yield Tottenham a trophy this season I think psychologically is a massive blow at home they should have too much uh, for Leeds but again they've been slow starters this season we know that uh, Leeds have got the, the attacking attributes to hurt them so if Spurs are sluggish as we've seen in the first half of recent matches then perhaps this could be uh, one of those upsets that Scott has been talking about. Indeed, Harry Kane saying that he was tired as well after the game, which is great news for England, just ahead of the World Cup. Um, don't hope he doesn't get injured. I hope he doesn't get injured. Um, Newcastle against Chelsea, and Newcastle um, probably, arguably, the favourites, the favourites here, uh, because look, this is a team that uh, uh, Chelsea had six domestic games without a win. They're struggle. They are struggling. Um, Andy Townsend said during our midweek games that Graham Potter is stuck in Brighton mode. Too nice, changing tactics too much. What do you think about that, Scott? Um, well, that's why Chelsea have brought him because of what he's done at Brighton. So you know, I would suggest that that's what you're getting. That's what you're going to get. I do think he's changed it a bit too much. And you know, again, I've, I've mentioned quite a few times when I've been on talk about square pegs and square holes. I think that's the important thing for me. When, you, when you're scratching around a little bit, and he is now, to be fair, to try and pick up results. Let's not forget, though, Sam, 
and Crookie as well, because I know you're a bad man as well, you Crookie, the way you jumped down on Chelsea and et cetera, et cetera. But it wasn't that long <laughs> ago when they got away from home against Salzburg, who hadn't lost in 40 games in all competitions. He, he, he put wingers as wing backs, and suddenly he's a genius. A few days later... They were brilliant. Absolutely. They? they were brilliant. A few days they? later, and, and, and I, I've been one to criticise him. We, we did it on the Sunday session, Sam, didn't we, about... Brighton, you know, they're going to be up for it. And then you put wing, the same wingers in, mm. in, in those wing-back positions. It, I, I, I don't have a problem with changes to a point. I just think you need to put your right people in the right place. And I think this game, and for Chelsea, more than any other manager, is a massive, massive game in terms of just trying to quieten the noise. And this is the worst game that you want right now. As bad as Man City away, it really is because of the way that Newcastle are playing and the job that Eddie Howe's done. So, and it's going to fester. It's going to be almost like, you know, an itch you can't scratch for the next sort of six weeks. If Chelsea lose again and the noise is going to get bigger and bigger about Graham Potter, where only a couple of weeks ago, you know, everyone was lauding him. That's what it's like being a Chelsea manager. I don't think he needs to change too much, Sam. I, I really don't because he is who he is and he's where he is because of what he's done. But there are certain things he needs to tweak. I don't think he wants that reputation of the tinker man. So try and get your best players in the best positions and get a run of games in that situation. Yeah, Newcastle playing very well. Um, and they're probably a better bet right now than Chelsea for the top four. I think Chelsea will probably come good in the end. And, and, and uh, yeah, I, I, I believe that over the season, they will get better and better and better. I think some of the players have probably got their eye on, on, on the World Cup. Certainly, Raheem Sterling will need to improve his form if he is going to make a, a contribution to England's performances at uh, World Cup 2022. Um, Newcastle have got a very good right back, a great leader in Kieran Trippier. And there was a question sort of doing the round in our office this week about whether or not, if Kane were not to play or get injured, should Trippier be the England captain? Uh, it's, it's a brilliant debating point. Um, I can't put forward too many arguments for that not to be the case. Um, I think he's been terrific. He's been the sort of poster boy for this new era at Newcastle, the first signing through the door, uh, if memory serves me right. Certainly the first headline-grabbing signing. He's really bought into the the club, bought into the city, bought into the fans. So, yeah, I'd have no problem with Kieran Trippier wearing the armband for England. But I think, actually, if you look at this Newcastle team, there's leaders all over the pitch. You know, I think Nick Pope has been... Uh, terrific and he's, he's quite a vocal character. You've got big Dan Byrne. I think Gimaresh is a leader in, in different ways as well. So, uh, as Scott says, this is just about the toughest gig in football at the moment, going to St. James's Park and trying to silence that home crowd and trying to check Newcastle's momentum. It's a bit, it's a bit grandiose, isn't it? But there's not a bit a harder task in football than going to Newcastle right now. I don't know. Going to the Bernabeu might be quite difficult as well. Maybe going to the Allianz Arena in Munich might be quite tricky. I don't know. Uh, Wolves against Arsenal live at 7.45. Uh, final game for Davis because Lepetegui Le is actually probably going to uh, come into um, the club during the international break. Um, what, what do you make of the appointment of Julien Lepetegui um, this week as the, as, the, as the new manager of Wolverhampton Wanderers? Is it going to change much? He's got, I mean, basically, the, the key problem here is is that he's got to get goal scores somehow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen Wolves a few times this season, and you know, in between the boxes, they're they're a very good side. Um, but 
Absolutely. Doesn't, isn't that what every manager wants? A guy who can score goals and, and they've struggled big time in that. I, I, listen, he, he's got his pedigree. He's done what he's done. He's managed the Spanish national side. Real Madrid, he's, he's had the experience of the big club temperament. And it's a guy that clearly they wanted initially. So, you know, they've got their man eventually, a little bit late. I, w- I would want to see him in as soon as possible. And every point counts when you're down there. So I just think, again, this is another difficult game, unless the kind of the internationals of the Arsenal players, as we've already spoken, the head's not right. I think it's going to be very difficult because of how good Arsenal are, both pressing without the ball and playing with it as well. So, yeah, he's got to somehow find not just a way to carry on having the ball, playing well, creating chances, but somehow sticking the ball in the back of the net. And that's the hardest thing to do. I think Martinelli has been brilliant for Arsenal this season. Saka has been excellent over the course of the campaign. Jesus hasn't scored for nine games, but it doesn't matter because he does so much else off the ball and it allows other players to contribute. I think they're a really good team. They like to play in the opponent's half. They press really high up and squeeze and they're just, they, they just smother you. They're so good. And I think away from home, they should get this job done. It would be just like Arsenal to drop points here and, and Manchester City to win and then go into the break in second place, despite the fact that they've done so much good work in the early part of the season. And even, even and as someone's not an Arsenal fan, I am desperate for them not to do that. Don't be Arsenal. Just whatever you do tomorrow night, don't be Arsenal. Just, just, just be this new entity that have managed to play as well as you have over the course of the season. Don't throw it away because it has been such a successful start to the season. And I don't want the break to be, I don't want them to go into the break on a negative and then come back and that to have severely affected. Absolutely, Sam. I'm I'm with you 100%. Again, I'm no Arsenal fan, but I love watching them play. But I do think we've seen a different Arsenal this season. I really do. At the start, the first few games, four wins out of four, and people are asking me questions. And it's a bit like, you know, who have they played? Um, let's wait and see when October when they're playing the real big boys and then the Europa League but with each game that's passed of October and now November they've come through it with flying colours and I do think this is a mentality thing for the World Cup get their players right and forget about the World Cup for 90 minutes and I think they've already shown now defensively and going forward this is not the Arsenal of recent years this is a very different Arsenal football club Okay, let's move on because we've still got a few games to whiz through. Liverpool against Southampton. First game for Saints in the Nathan Jones era. Um, We better go down to our South Coast correspondent, Southampton PR executive Alex Crook. Um, Nathan Jones, what do we expect him to bring to Southampton Football Club? Energy, fitness, um, maybe more of a game plan that we saw from Ralph Hasenhutl in his final matches in charge. But listen, I can't dress it up. This is a massive gamble. It's not the appointment that I saw coming. Um, I fully expected an overseas coach uh, to come and replace Ralph Hasenhutl. I'm pleased in a way that they put their faith in uh, someone British, someone who clearly has done a very good job in the EFL. Obviously, you can use his ill-fated tenure at Stoke as a stick to beat him with, but you could have done the same with Eddie Howe when he went to Burnley. You could say he's never managed in the Premier League, nor a Graham Potter uh, before he got the Brighton job. So, you know, I think there's been a bit of lazy criticism, but it is a gamble. And I think the key is there are some good players in this Southampton squad and, and not, not just the 
the young players they sign in the summer, but there's some senior players. We mentioned James Ward-Prowse, who quite simply have been underperforming under Ralph Hasenhutl. So I think Nathan Jones needs to come in, give these players a kick up the backside and try and galvanise a dressing room that was very unhappy in the final weeks of Ralph Hasenhutl's tenure. By all accounts, he's someone they've been tracking for a long time. They've given him a, a three-and-a-half-year contract, which is a big show of faith that they think he is the right manager for the next phase of the project. So good luck to him. But this is not an easy start, is it, Liverpool away? Well, I mean, you would hope that if they'd hired you, that was enough of a show of faith anyway, really, wouldn't it? I mean, you wouldn't expect someone to be bought in and feel with on day one that they weren't the man that they wanted long term. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think it just smacks to me of, of what Southampton are doing, which is, with all due respect to Nathan Jones, I imagine he's quite cheap in comparison to a big-name European manager. They know that he's done a very good job at Luton Town twice. So they're looking at what he's done with younger players and on limited resources. That's how Southampton are operating. And they want to utilise his skills in in generating a similar sort of result. Um, for Liverpool, um, they, they've, got to, they've got to win this game. They have to win this match. There's no doubt about it because their form has been poor. Um, the good thing, I suppose, for them, Scott, is that Van Dijk and Alisson really are likely to be the only Liverpool players who play regularly at the, the, the World Cup. I mean, all of the games. Could, could that be a saving grace come the second half of the season? I mean, Salah's going to get another big run. Absolutely. Look, I mean, I've already said about how this season is basically two seasons in one and, and you have to treat it as that. So, you're right. They have to win this game. I think they will win this game. I think they'll win this game pretty comfortably. I still, I'm looking at the table now and Liverpool are in eighth. And what what are they on nineteen points? Tottenham, the seventeen seven points behind, and, and and some teams to catch up on as well. But you know that Liverpool are more than capable if they get it right, if they click, they're capable of going on a really good run. So anybody who rules them out in the top four, rule them out in the league, winning the title, that's not going to happen. Crook, where are Liverpool? <laughs> um, fifth, sixth, not in the top four. There you go. Uh, West Ham against Leicester. Um, Hammers fans starting to turn on David Moyes now, Crook. What, what, is that a little bit harsh? Or you know, It wasn't that long ago that they got to the semi-final of the Europa League. But I think he's paying the price for his own success, really. Um, when you look at what West Ham have achieved over the last couple of seasons, uh, maybe it's given some of their supporters delusions of grandeur. I, I don't think they're in a relegation scrap. I don't think they're in the European conversation at this stage either, although they are obviously in the knockout rounds of the Conference League. But it hasn't been great. The football's not been great. There's been a reluctance to to pair Skamaka and Antonio together up front. We've spoken about it on this podcast. Antonio himself uh, has spoken about the fact that maybe he would like the opportunity uh, to, to play in tandem and, and build up a partnership. So I think it's the style of play as much as the results that have got West Ham fans on David Moyes' back. Uh, is he safe? Well, the powers that be tell us that he is. But um, I think he needs he needs some results um, to certainly quieten those noises and uh, this weekend will be a good place to start. Um, Madison will be buoyed by his call-up when Leicester go to West Ham this weekend, Saturday afternoon, 3 o'clock, same time for Forest against Palace. A massive win for Forest in midweek against Spurs. Big goal for Jesse Lingard. How important is it that they back that up with a victory here? Sam, is, it, it's absolutely massive with a team that's, again, you know, we talk about sort of results festering now for, for six weeks until, until they play at Boxing Day. Any team that's playing now, and, and Crystal Palace, um, 
I say Crystal Palace um, at home is a game that most Premier League teams should win. Obviously, West Ham were wanting them to do that as well last week. But absolutely. I mean, look, I'm not just in regards to a massive fan. I'll be honest with you. I agree with Crookie. Um, and we don't need to go down that route again. He shouldn't be at Nottingham Forest. He should be at West Ham wanting to prove that he still could have been in the squad for England. But building that, absolutely. This is a one-off game now for, for all these teams now. And then you're going to have a big break. Just go for it. Give it your all. And if they get three points, then suddenly, you know, for the next four to six weeks, everything's looking rosy. Yeah, Forest are going to stay up. Uh, Bournemouth against uh, Everton is another one for this weekend. A rematch of the game that finished 4-1 to the Cherries midweek in the Cup. And uh, Frank Lampard, I think, probably does deserve a little bit of uh, criticism for fielding a weak team. 100%. I said it on air. 11 changes. Don't understand it. Everton haven't won a trophy since... 1995, they were in a reasonable position in the Premier League. I think they should have named a much stronger side. And actually, I think it was a very damaging defeat, not just the fact they've been dumped out by Bournemouth, but the fact they conceded four very poor goals. And actually, some of our television colleagues were saying, I'm not sure Frank Lampard's going to last much longer. I don't buy into that because I think he's got the support of the Everton fans. I think the board are reasonably happy with the job that he's doing. But if they were to go to Bournemouth twice in a few days and lose, then uh, that would be a very bad look for Frank Lampard. Um, this could be Gary O'Neill's last game. I think it will be Gary O'Neill's last game as Bournemouth's interim manager. So he will want to go out on a high. And I think the players will want to send him out on a high as well. So this is difficult for Everton. Uh, Brighton against Villa is Sunday. Uh, Villa off the back of a stunning debut from Onai Emery. And they played OK during the game. OK during the game against uh, Manchester United. Uh, Unai Emery was putting a positive spin on it. There's lots of good things that he was impressed with. They scored two goals at Old Trafford. They played out from the back. That was their undoing at times as well um, in that game um, in the Carabao Cup. But I've got to be honest with you, um, there's still a lot of work to do at Aston Villa. Brighton, I think, are a little bit further ahead than them. Uh, Fulham against Manchester United is Sunday as well. Um, Manchester United, I mean, the attitude of Manchester United's players has, has been terrific, I think, under Eric Ten Hag. October was a very calm month. They had a bit of a blip at the start of November in the fact they didn't beat Sociedad by the requisite number of goals, so therefore didn't win the group in the Europa League. They then lost that game against Aston Villa away from home. They've now got to go to Fulham, who have done very well this, this season so far. Andreas Pereira, former Manchester United player, is going to be desperate to prove a point as well. I think they've got the mental fortitude to get over this now. Eric Ten Hag sort of saw, demanded that they bounce back from the Villa defeat and did that yesterday. But it is a banana skin, isn't it, Scott? It, it really is, because I didn't expect them to do what they did at, at Villa Park. You know, I expected, I, I thought there's a bit of a turnaround for, for United and we're going to see them, obviously he's not going to win every single game, but have a much better performance. And, and, and mentally, as well as physically, um, they, they were just outdone. And this is the Fulham, again, from a, all I can talk about is from a player's point of view. Whether you're going to the World Cup, that's one thing, but if you're not going to the World Cup, I, I'm going to be all over this game because I know that I'm not going to be playing again for four to six weeks. I'm telling you now, the cottage in the last game before the World Cup is a really difficult place. And if United aren't at it 100%, they're not only not going to win this game, but they're going to get done like they did at Villa Park as well. Crook, do you want to quickly talk about uh, your beloved Manchester United? Well, I echo what Scott says, um, really. Uh, I was worried at half-time against Aston Villa because you mentioned Sociedad, you mentioned the, the league game at Villa Park, and at half-time, it was a really poor 
first half performance from United. I thought, are we going backwards here? But, you know, credit to the players and credit to Ten Hag. They, they turned it around in that second half. I think a lot of his in-game management has, has been good. Um, and you look at the changes that he made, Garnacho and Eriksen both made a huge impact. Donny van der Beek should never play for United again for me. I think he's an absolutely terrible player um, who needs to leave in January. And I hope he's nowhere near the pitch come Sunday, but they need to start the game like they started the second half. They can't afford to be lethargic. They can't afford to be as sluggish as they were both in the opening stages of Villa Park and in that first half of the cup game. I mentioned that to Eric Ten Hag. I said, look, I can't believe those uh, two halves were in the same game. That first half was so dreary and the second half was so brilliant. What did you say to them at half time? And he said to me, I was quite happy with the first half. At which point I <laughs> fell to my knees. Um, <laughs> Because I thought, hold on a second, we can't be watching the same game. But then you have to realise, managers talk nonsense. <laughs> they tell you things that, that aren't true, that it's plainly are not true because they're maintaining some level of harmony in a dressing room and they can't have a go at the players or whatever. So there's a lot of times when you speak to a manager and they talk, and they talk absolute nonsense. They're just what did you say back to him, Sam? I just, I just I let him talk for a little while. And then we, then we moved on about the draw or something like that. I can't remember. Actually, you know, he's very good in an interview. I think he's he's very, like, he, he's one of the better ones, actually. The way he talks and the way he explains things, I think he's very useful. Um, and actually, you learn a little bit from the, some of the interviews that he gives. Whereas there are some other managers where you sit there and you just think, you're, not only are you fobbing me off, not only are you talking rubbish, but you, you do not care about it either. And there's some high-profile ones that literally will just say things just, just, just to get it over and done with and move on. And then, you know, that's a tactic of theirs, and I understand why they do that. But I do sometimes think, you know, you are, it's not me you're talking to, really. It's the, it's the supporters. You know that, don't you? But anyway, Manchester City against Brentford is live on TalkSport at 12.30, um, followed by Tottenham versus Leeds and Wolves against Arsenal. Looking forward to all those three games. Get our TalkSport app. You can download it. You can flick between the schedules and check what's on TalkSport and TalkSport 2, listen to all the live matches. And the podcasts are on there as well, including this one. And it is going to be the place where you'll be able to find that daily podcast for the World Cup, which we're looking forward to doing as well. Uh, we'll be recording the first of those on Monday, a preview on Monday. And uh, we'll be reviewing all the action uh, this weekend too. Uh, so thank you very much to Scott and to Alex Crook. Scott, we'll see you soon. Have a good one out in Qatar. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll keep in touch during that period as well. It's the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.